0: good morning, friends. Uh, It's a joy to be here and to open up God's Word with you Uh, this morning. I'm going to be in the book of Job, so you can open up your Bibles and turn there. We're going to be in Job chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to turn there, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. So Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, uh, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please open up your word to us this morning. Please let us be shaped by it. Um, let our hearts receive it. Let it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we, as we consider this prologue to the book of Job, uh, you are likely aware that one of the main themes of this book is suffering. And indeed, what follows after our text today it could be described only as a level of suffering that is catastrophic and devastating. Almost in an instant, the man Job, who was a man so blessed by God, loses nearly all of what is dear to him. He loses all of his children and all of his wealth. He is a man that goes from riches to rags. And he displays for us a degree of suffering that is puzzling and perplexing. It is the type of suffering that leaves a person almost speechless. And as we see throughout the rest of this book, and one of the main points of this book, is that it is the type of suffering that seems to call into question basic truths about God. Namely, the goodness of God and the omnipotence of God. And this is the wrestle in the book of Job. Job is faced with a type of suffering that seems to create a divide between the truths that he knows about God and the realities that he experiences in a fallen world. The book of Job is exploring this reality, and it's really remarkable that here in the book of Job, we have perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. The events of this book are likely taking place up to 4,000 years ago, and yet the problem that it's dealing with is a problem that is just as relevant today as it was then. It's really remarkable. In fact, if you look at any article or any sort of statistics, if you search the top reasons for people to not believe in God or the top reasons for atheism in the world, you will find in the top five of every list the problem of evil and suffering. And it's this same issue that Job deals with. Even despite all the advances that have taken place over the last 4,000 years, and all of the comforts that are available in our modern age, this is a problem that persists. And the reality of suffering is one that human effort has not been able to extinguish or quench. It is like a wildfire which has set ablaze the whole forest of human existence. It is something that as we open our Bibles and as we live our lives that we all must reckon with. But the question before us today is whether or not we are going to let experience be our teacher, or we are going to let the Word of God be our teacher. And this morning I want to choose the latter of those two, and we are going to look at the the book of Job and this prologue to Job uh, in order to teach us a, a biblical view about suffering. And my goal this morning is not to give an exhaustive account of what the Bible teaches, um, but just to highlight... A few things that will be helpful and that we see in this prologue to the book of Job. So, there's three things I want to highlight. Um, and one of those three is going to be the main one, and I will, I will mention that when we get there. Um, the, first, the first thing is this this is point number one suffering is not always a consequence of sin. I'm going to say that one more time suffering is not always a consequence of sin. Now, I use the word always here because there are, in fact, many instances in which this is true. In fact, so much of human suffering in this world seems to be a very direct result of willful decisions uh, to turn from God, uh, to turn from God's ways, and to do things that bring destructive consequences. That is the heart of sin. Even though it looks appealing, it is always destructive. However, this is an insufficient explanation to the full range of human suffering that exists in the world. It cannot account for all of it. And Job is a case in point for that truth. Now, if you look, if you look in the text to see this, um, you'll want to look at verses 1 and verse 8. That's where we'll be. And, and in these verses, both the narrator, the author of the book, and the Uh, the Lord himself in verse 8, speak of Job as being a man who was, quote, blameless and upright, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. And this is highlighting for us that even before the suffering of Job, we are given a description of him that, that puts him forth as a man of really remarkable integrity. He's a man that fears and loves God and a man that is blameless in his conduct toward others. Now, just as an aside, to say that Job is blameless does not mean that he is sinless. Job never claims that in this book. Um, But it is to say that in his life, he had no blatant and obvious moral defects. Um, That if you looked at his life, you saw a man of integrity, a man of completeness. There wasn't blatant sin. And if you look closer at verse 8, this is where we really see that that Job is not suffering for his sin. Um, here, Here we see... Satan is coming before the Lord, and and actually it's the Lord that puts forward Job, um, and it's the Lord who even gives a reason why. Verse 8, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? (laughs) So you see that the Lord puts forth Job, um, and the reason for that is, is the opposite of his sin um it is not due to the simplistic view of of simple deed and consequence it is not just because job has sinned that he is suffering the narrative is making clear to us actually that it is job is is being put forth because there is a lack of sin in his life he is being put forth not because he is unrighteous but because he is righteous he is a righteous sufferer and that's the first point suffering is not always because of sin Now, secondly, uh, another corrective to perhaps a limited or a deficient view of suffering, uh, point number two is that suffering doesn't happen because God is not sovereign. I'm going to say that one more time. Suffering doesn't happen because God is not sovereign. Now, another way to say that is that the existence of suffering does not mean that there is something happening which is outside of God's control, which is outside of his knowledge, which is outside of his purposes, or outside of his exercise of his sovereign will over all of his creation. It doesn't mean that suffering is not difficult. It doesn't mean that suffering is not something that we should wrestle with, even wrestle at times with God. Uh, but it does mean that ultimately, in our suffering, we must see it as as coming from God and coming from His wisdom and His power and His goodness. And we must submit to Him um, knowing that it is that He is good and trusting that this this suffering that comes into our life is according to His wisdom. Now as we see this in our passage uh, we can look at verses 6 and 8 and the picture here is that Satan is, is coming before the Lord uh, that he enters into the to the heavenly council with the sons of God. Um, in this case, referring to angelic beings. And then it is the Lord who speaks first to Satan. It is the Lord who first mentions Job and puts him forward. Verse 8, it says that the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now this shows us that that even though the suffering of Job is ultimately carried out by Satan, it was not his idea. It is the Lord who first mentions Job and puts him forward. Verse 12 is even more clear. Um, After Satan's challenge, after his challenge against God and against Job, he says that Job only fears God because God has blessed him. If God would take away what Job has, Job would curse him. Verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So in this verse, we see that God is not only the one who mentions Job first, it is also God who must give Satan permission to harm Job. And it is God who even restricts the amount of harm that Satan is able to do. God allows Satan to touch what Job has, but he does not allow him to touch Job himself. And, and just to see the point of all of this, this suffering is not because of, that, that God is asleep at the wheel. It's not because God has wound up the clock and let it run. And it is certainly not because Satan is some sort of equal with God. The Bible is clear for us that, that it is the Lord who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It is the Lord who declares the end from the beginning. It is the Lord who does his will among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And there is none that can stay his hand. And there's none that can say to him, what have you done? And as we see in, in the world around us that God's God's purposes and his plans include suffering. It includes even the things that, that Satan and men mean for evil. But God means them for good and in order to accomplish his greater purposes. So that's the second point. Suffering <coughs> is not because God is not sovereign. And the third point, this is the main point. Um, I think it's the the main point of this passage. um, And I want it to be the the main point of this sermon as well. And it's this. God uses suffering to display His glory and to refine the faith of His people. Say that one more time. God uses suffering to display His glory, and to refine the faith of His people. Even though suffering is a difficult thing in the moment, God is using it for a greater end and for a higher purpose. Now we look at uh, verses 8 and 11 in our text. These verses really form the backdrop of this book. As we read them again, I want you to notice the, the challenge that Satan sets forth. As the reader, we are, we are given access to this. Job is not. Um, we can see the, the cosmic contest, which is at work. So verse 8, the Lord puts forth Job. And in verse 9, Job, uh, Satan responds to the Lord and he says, Does Job fear God for no reason? have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side you have blessed the work of his hands and all his possessions have increased in the land but only stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face this is the challenge of Satan, this is the the cosmic contest um, that is at hand in this book it's a twofold challenge first of all it is a challenge against God. Um, It is a challenge against the the character of God. It's a challenge against the worthiness of God. In effect, Satan is saying that the only reason that someone might love God is if God gives them good things. Satan is challenging whether God is is in fact worthy enough in himself to be worshipped. And secondly, it is also a challenge against the faith of Job. Satan doesn't, doesn't deny that Job is a pious man. He doesn't deny the integrity and the character of Job. That Job fears the Lord. But what he challenges is that Job's fear of the Lord is actually not genuine, but it's, it's superficial. That it's really just a, a, a covered up, shallow self-interest. That if God would only take away the things that he has given to Job, Job would no longer bless God. Job would no longer fear God. Rather, Job would curse God. So says Satan. And so what follows from this challenge in the book of Job is Job wrestles with this question and and as the reader, as we are exposed uh, to this heavenly counsel and to this challenge, we can see clearly that suffering the righteous suffering even of of God's people, it it becomes something like a stage which would display the glory and the greatness and the grandeur of God. And at the same time, it is also something that is like a a crucible in which the, the faithful, in this case Job, will be put into. And the result is that they would be refined and purified. And so suffering, in this case, it becomes a means to accomplish greater ends and higher purposes. Even in our own lives, we can be assured if we are in Christ that the suffering that falls upon us is not without this purpose, but it serves to these ends, to show forth the glory of God, the greatness of God, and to refine us and to purify us. We can be assured that even if, like Job, we would lose the smaller blessing of material comfort, that it might serve us to, to find the greater blessing of, of a sanctified heart and a deeper communion with God. It's purposeful. It is, it is always purposeful. God uses suffering as a means to these great ends that we might know Him more, that we might display his, his worthiness more. You see, my friends, it is not a, a, as much of a powerful testimony for a man to worship God when he is outwardly and seemingly blessed in the world's eyes. But a man who, like Job, is a man who has lost things, a, a man who seems to be under God's punishment or, or wrath, But a man who still is able to worship and love and serve God in this way is a man that shows that God in himself is worthy. It is a man without a divided heart but a sincere faith. Now just one last thought before we're done. When it comes to the issue of suffering, it can be easy for us to believe that somehow God is far off and that He is indifferent to us. Um, but the Bible teaches us something very clearly contrary to this. Um, we see that at the at the very heart of the Bible and at the very heart of, of God's sovereign purposes in the world, at the very heart of, of God's redemptive story that He is weaving in history is the reality of suffering. And it is suffering that that achieves the greatest purposes of God, and it is suffering not endured by humanity, but suffering endured by deity. It is suffering not of man, but in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the suffering of God. It is suffering by the one in whom the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus Christ is the main character in the Bible. He is the hero in the story of human history. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. Um, he is the, the centerpiece of God's redemptive work in the world. And the Bible says that, that though he was in the form of God, he came down from heaven and he his life was characterized by suffering in order that we might be saved. The Bible refers to him as a man of sorrows, and as one who was acquainted with grief, it says that he, as the founder of our salvation, was made perfect through suffering. In fact, he was the greatest of all sufferers. In a span of hours, he suffered more than we could in a lifetime. And it was it was this his greatest act, his redeeming act, the central moment in human history, was also his greatest moment of suffering his greatest act was going to the cross being crucified for our sin the bible says that he went to the cross even though he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth he is the true righteous sufferer that job only points to uh, it also says in the Bible that he was, he was delivered up to that cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, it, was, it was God's sovereign plan uh, to bring him there. The Bible says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took the suffering that we deserve. Um, he, he bore it in our place. As the hymn says, On Him, almighty vengeance fell enough to sink the world to hell. He bore it for our chosen race and thus became our hiding place. He bore it for us so that we wouldn't have to bear it for ourselves. And so that one day that we might be separated from suffering for all of eternity and that we might one day stand in His presence and that one day He would wipe away every tear from our eyes and in that day it says that there will be no more no more pain, no mourning and no more tears suffering is a means of God to these great ends but my friends it is a temporary means I pray that that day would come soon and I pray that God would hold us fast until it does let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and faithfulness and kindness to us. Thank you for Christ and his willingness to suffer for our sake. Lord, let us praise you for this, for for the end of eternity, forever and ever. Amen.